reading verses 1 to 10 from the New English, no, the NIV, sorry. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jenny. Just before we uh, look into God's word, I'd just like to lead us in a short prayer and we'll also then receive the offering uh, after that as well. So let's, let's just pray together. Father, we thank you again for this uh, precious opportunity that we have. You've given us to be able to meet together corporately, openly, as we do. And uh, may we never take that for granted. Because we know that we have brothers and sisters all over the world, Lord, who don't have the same freedom that we have here in this land. So help us, we pray, to seize the day and to uh, meet with you as often as we can, corporately together in this place that you've so marvellously provided for us here in this church building. And Father, we do often think of, uh, at the moment, particularly North Korea and all that's going on there. And, and Father, you know it's our prayer. We pray for peace, Lord, to prevail, we pray for sanity to prevail over that place, Lord. We pray for your intervention amongst the leaders in that place, Heavenly Lord. But Father, we also remember those 350,000 Christians who are in that place, as it's been estimated, those who don't worship you openly as we can. 350,000 estimated Christians in North Korea. Lord, meet them, strengthen them, sustain them. Give them wisdom and give them courage to share their faith as you would have them, Lord, in that place at the moment. And Father, we know that we are living in very troubled times all over the world and our hearts go out for your people. and Those who would cry out to you, Lord, during the, for example, the earthquake in Mexico, the survivors of that, Lord, meet them, we pray. Help them to rebuild, but Lord, help them to use you as the great builder 
Help them to call upon you to rebuild their lives, Lord, not just their dwellings. Meet them, Lord, we pray. Meet those who are in threat of a volcano in Bali. We pray for that situation, Lord. Hurricanes in the US and Puerto Rico. The devastation, the damage, the loss, the loss of life. Lord, we pray for those in these predicaments. Our hearts go out for them, Lord. And we pray that they will call upon your name and know that you're the God who hears and answers in marvellous ways. Please comfort them. Please strengthen. Please bring revival among these places when they realise, Lord, that their world may have consisted of their physical material possessions and now they're all gone. What do they have left? Help us, O oh God, we pray, to be people who are willing to hand over everything to you because it's all come from your hand. So meet these ones, we pray, loving Father. Meet our own government, Lord. We pray for our own Prime Minister. Pray for courage. Pray for conviction. Pray that you bring biblical values back into our government systems. Pray for your spirit to come powerfully upon them. Particularly during this plebiscite thing, Lord, we pray that your spirit may move powerfully over all of the various people groups, Lord, who are sprouting their own particular means and their, their own particular agendas. Lord, it's our prayer that you would bring your agenda to bear upon this land. Let your gospel sound forth in power, we pray, in life-transforming power across our own nation, we do ask. And then, loving Father, we know there are many amongst our own number here who are not well, some in hospital. Heavenly Father, meet them, comfort them, strengthen them, O Lord. Bring your healing hand to bear, we pray, upon these ones. Raise them up. So many, Lord, knocked aside with this flu and, and other things that are happening. We pray that you just bless those of our own fellowship, those of our own family here at SDBC. Touch them, strengthen them, sustain them. Keep us in your care, Lord, and help us to be ever lifting up our eyes to you, gazing upon you as the psalmist does, calling out to you, Lord, lift up my, my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Father, we thank you for our time together here this morning. We thank you for this time we were able to just lay aside the things that are on our hearts and lay them, indeed lay them before you and to meet with you and to worship you. And now part of our worship, Lord, we want to bring an offering to you. Help us to do it cheerfully, gladly. Help us to do it, Lord, in a way that says, Lord, thank you for all that you've given to me. May this be just a little symbol of the fact that I want to give everything to you. You are the true owner of the store. We're just the managers, just the stewards. Help us to be faithful. But Lord, receive this offering now, we pray, as an act of our worship during this time together with you and with each other, we pray. Hear our prayers, O oh Lord. Burden our hearts even during the week as we leave this place. Help us to be a praying people and we commit ourselves lovingly into your almighty hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless your church. Thank you. Your offering will now be received.
I hope you've still got your Bibles open there to Acts chapter 17. That's where our meditation comes from this morning. As we uh, begin this uh, little uh, meditation uh, for the next several weeks, actually, through uh, the book of First Thessalonians. So in this passage that was just read to us, we find ourselves traveling with Paul on his second uh, missionary journey, where in uh, chapter 16, Paul received that uh, magnificent vision uh, of a man of Macedonia uh, begging him to come over to help them. And so he does that. He and Silas uh, head over to Macedonia in obedience to that particular vision. And there they find themselves being severely flogged and thrown into prison. But that particular event, which I think is typical of how God works, has an amazing ending in that Paul leads the jailer and the whole of his household to Christ. So after their release... Uh, they go on to Lydia's house, who was also converted under Paul's ministry, and to encourage their fellow believers. And then they departed from there, finally to arrive at Thessalonica. And that, as I said again, that this is where we want to be spending the next several weeks, covering Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, that he wrote probably from Corinth. And to learn how the Lord blessed Paul's short but a very effective ministry uh, in Thessalonica, and how the message of Jesus Christ uh, spread out from these Thessalonian believers to all over the place. Now, according to Bible commentator uh, Warren Wearsby, he says this. A little bit of background about the city, about Thessalonica. He said, Paul knew that Thessalonica, which is our modern Salonica, Salonica, I think is how you pronounce it, was a strategic city for the work of the Lord. Not only was it the capital of Macedonia, but it was also a centre for business, rivaled only by Corinth. It was located on several important trade routes, and it boasted an excellent harbour. The city was predominantly Greek, even though it was controlled by Rome. But this is interesting. Thessalonica was a free city, which meant that it had, the, it had an elected citizens' assembly. It could mint its own coins... And it had, it had no Roman garrison within its walls, which I thought was also really interesting. So please feel free to continue to explore the history because it is a fascinating thing. If you're a bit of a history buff, there's so much more uh, to learn about the, the, the fascinating history of, Thessalon of Thessalonica, including how it got its name. If you find out how it's got its name, because I know, come and tell me next week. How did that city get its name? Very interesting. Yes, it is interesting. But God, God, however, he had another purpose for Paul. And it wasn't sightseeing. It wasn't exploring the history of the city. No, it was, it was a lot more critical than that. You see, it had to do with the devastating and terminal condition, human condition of its inhabitants, which God calls sin. It was, it was this, this cry from dying human souls that stirred the Apostle Paul along with the heart of Christ that he had for these, these people and indeed for all peoples. Perhaps this was made even plainer by God's vision to Paul of, of that man in Macedonia. Let me read it to you. Acts 16.9 this is. It says, During the night... 
Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So what what kind of help was so desperately needed by this begging man or symbolised by this begging man of Macedonia? It's interesting, you know, because Paul sees only one answer and he names it in the very next verse, in in verse 10 of, of Acts 16. Look at this. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Not to go over and get involved in their social welfare networks and everything else. He concluded that they needed the gospel preached to them. And of course, we know, don't we, that when God's will is so clearly revealed to us and we obey his will, everything will just turn out so sweet, don't we? Like it was for Paul and Silas in Philippi, for example. You know, apart from being harassed by a demon-possessed slave girl and, and then being attacked by angry crowds and severely flogged and thrown into an inner cell of the jail with their feet fastened in the stocks. You know, apart from those minor setbacks, it was happy days. Mm. So surely, surely they could expect good times in Thessalonica. Thessalonica. It's not quite like that, is it? You're living in the real world with me? Not quite like that. So my dear friends here this morning, we we, we really do need to take seriously the cost of following Jesus. And by the way, there's a greater cost if you don't. Yes, there's a cost to follow Jesus, but what an amazing reward. But there is such a costly cost if you don't. Just as one example, have a look at Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15. It's pretty sobering what you read in that passage, just for one example. But Jesus says to us today, as he did to his disciples back then, in Luke 9.23, and he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, Luke's the only one that says daily. Take up their cross daily and follow me. So are you ready, my dear brother or sister this morning? Are you ready? Are you ready to deny yourself? Are you ready to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus? In other words, are you ready to put yourself last and to put Jesus first? Really? That's what it's about, isn't it? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these other things will be added unto you is his promise. Deny yourself. Self last. Jesus needs to be first in everything. Are you willing to do that? Yeah, I also want you to, to see, I want us to see together here Paul's passion in response to that vision of the man standing and begging them to come over to Macedonia and help us. I think Paul, you might say, Paul had an urgent case of Macedonia mission. As he says in, in, chapter, in verse 10 of chapter 16, look at, how he, look, look at these words. We got ready oh, several days after that. No, we got ready at once. 
There's the urgency. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And this, is all, this also obviously included his mission to the Thessalonians. So again, notice the call to help us and the response to that help to preach the gospel to them. And folks, really, is this not the answer to the, to the cry uh, that we hear in, in, from people today? Is this not the answer today? They need the gospel. People need the Lord. When I read this and thought about it, it reminded me of a song I heard when I was about 20-something years of age. A song by Andre Crouch and his disciples. I'm not going to sing it, but this is the words of the first line. He says this, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. Have you heard that song? What a beautiful song, but there it is. It's powerful. Jesus is the answer. Not all the other stuff. He's the answer. It's got to be him. You know, the week before last, I had the privilege of talking to two young men, one in one of their homes, and I do that a few times. Um, God just opened this door. It's amazing. Both these guys are married. Um, and one of these guys spoke, and as we shared together, he spoke about the many relationships that, that he had been in. He wasn't boasting. He was just saying, you know, I hopped in from, you know, hopped from one relation to another. And he spoke about the many girlfriends that, that, that he'd spent his time with. And, and yet he knew in the midst of all that that there was something wrong and there was something desperately missing from his life, but he didn't know what it was. It was this cry for help that came from his in, inside of his heart as he went from relationship to relationship. And he said, since I've met Christ, since knowing Jesus, he says, I'm married, I've settled down. He says, I feel content, I'm stable, I'm secure. I'm in this fulfilling relationship, which he'd never had before. Isn't that amazing? Can you think of a story, perhaps in John chapter 4, for example, where someone else was in a predicament just like that? The woman at the well? who could not really quench her thirst. She had a thirst deep in the inner heart of her being that nothing could quench, not even the relationships that she was in, until she met Jesus who offered her living water. And then her, her thirst was truly quenched. Hey, I wonder if I'm talking to anybody here this morning. And you're in that situation. Nothing you try works. It might give you a thrill for a little while. It might meet some kind of a need, but you come back thirsty again. You're not truly satisfied. Well, I want to tell you, just like my friend found out, you need Jesus Christ. He's the one that can fill that void in your life. Nothing else works. And yet we try, don't we? You know, interesting, again, last Tuesday, last Tuesday night, I just happened to catch one of the segments of a TV program called RBT. Anyone watch RBT? No, yes, whatever. But it's that police show. And, and, and he was this young bloke. He'd been pulled over by the police with a significant blood level of cannabis that they found in his system. You know, and I watched it for a little while, and it was sad. It was just so sad, but how typical... 
But how sad to hear some of his story of how this guy was trying to beat depression. Trying to beat depression. He was trying to, talk, he was trying to escape, he said. He used the word escape, the torment of his life. By smoking pot, that's the only thing he could find. It didn't work for him. But again, isn't it? It's a cry, isn't it? Even a begging for help that we're seeing. And I wonder, I wondered if he'd ever heard the gospel of Christ explained to him. As Paul did, for example, when he entered the synagogue at Thessalonica and in verse 3 we read explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Not was, he is. Paul had great confidence in the power of the gospel of Christ to change change human lives for eternity and that's why he says in Romans 1 16 as you see on the screen there he says for I am not ashamed of the gospel why well because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first for the Jew but then to the Gentile there's something about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's so simple in its, in, in its understanding in many ways, but it, it, but it is incredibly powerful in what it does when people hear that. The human heart responds to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the need. That's the answer. He's the answer. How urgently... Dear friends, how urgently we need to pray and then be alert to those God-appointed times when the Holy Spirit of God will arrange for you and me to share with someone who is crying out and who is begging for help, whether they know that they are or not, whether they know what their answer is or not. Every human heart without Jesus Christ is begging for answers, is begging for help. They may not admit it to you, but they are, because they're empty. Only Jesus can fill that void. But that you and I, you and I would be ready, praying, asking God that we would be those who would reason and explain to them, as Paul did in this synagogue, how Jesus Christ changed your life. You don't have to be a theologian, just tell them your story. What happened to you? And how Jesus changed you from the inside out. How he took away your sin. How he took away your shame and your condemnation. How he transformed you to be a new creation in Christ. And then read to them 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Don't do it with such exuberance. You might frighten them away though. But it's so true. Your life needs to shine. You need to be authentic in your faith, in your love for Christ, so that when people look at you, they say, so what's different about you? You've met Jesus. You've been with Jesus. Many of you understand exactly. I know you do. You're here this morning. You understand exactly what I mean because you've met the Lord Jesus. And now you have a life. A life like you've never had before. 
However, in a congregation this size, I suspect that there'd be some of you who don't yet understand really what we're saying. If that's you, can I say with all my heart, I'm so glad you're here this morning. I mean that. We're so glad that you're here to hear what the Lord is saying to you. This is the greatest news you will ever hear. That you might listen to what the Holy Spirit of God is saying in the name of Jesus to your own heart. Hear what he's saying to you, that you might respond to him. As many of us have here and as they did in Thessalonica, where a church was formed as a result of Paul's preaching. So in verses 1 to 4 of Acts 17, I don't know about you, but I get the distinct impression that when Paul and Silas landed in Thessalonica, they wasted no time in locating that synagogue. Let me just read those verses to you again. Verse 2 from chapter 17, as, as was his custom and it was, uh, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scripture explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women as well. So I want you to notice here that as I read those, those scriptures that there are four key words. They're up on the screen already. That's good. There are four key words that, that, that describe how Paul expounded God's word to them. Firstly, he reasoned with them. You know, that simply means that he had a discussion with them. You know, he had, he had questions and answers. He listened to them. That's so important when you and I have a discussion with someone. Reason with them. Listen carefully to what they say. And then as you're doing that, pray and always Always have the scriptures with you, the scriptures open to you. They are your authority. Everything that you need to know and everything that you need to share coming from God's word. Don't go off on a tangent on your own and start sharing some of your own thoughts and ideas. You need to have the scripture as your authority. Then secondly, Paul explained. In other words, he just opened up. He clarified the scriptures to them, clarified God's word, opened them. And God's spirit works. He's the one who opens our eyes to see things that we've never seen before. He does that. And thirdly, proving that the Old Testament scriptures were speaking of Jesus. This Jesus whom you crucified indeed is the Christ. He is the risen Christ. He is the Messiah. This Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. Uh, one commentator explained further by saying this. He proved, and that word translated means to lay down alongside, to prove by presenting the evidence. The apostle set before them one Old Testament proof after another, and no doubt, no doubt he used Isaiah 53. Have a look at that. Isaiah 53 is one of those Old Testament scriptures that no doubt Paul used in proving that Jesus of Nazareth is Messiah God. And then fourthly, we, we read that Paul proclaimed, as it says in verse 3 of Acts 17, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Is the Messiah, he said. So Paul was careful 
after all that to proclaim he was able to preach that Christ did suffer that he was the one who died on the cross that he rose again from the dead this is the essence of the gospel and of first importance folks that all people listen from all walks of life all people from all persuasions from all orientations here today in our world today these ones are the ones that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ let him do the work deep on the inside which will transform them it transforms their thinking who's got a different way of thinking now that you've met Jesus than what you had before put your hand up do you think differently now some of you haven't I'm a bit worried you might need to know Jesus you might need to come and talk to one of us at the end of this service but generally ultimately he changes your thinking listen to how the apostle paul explains this to the corinthian church first importance he says what i received i passed on to you as of first importance that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures that's our authority that's the power of God is in his word that's what we you and I need to use that's our armor that's our that's our spiritual sword is <laughs> the word of God we need to use that God will equip us so Paul's teaching went on for three Sabbaths and then he had to minister outside the synagogue we're not sure exactly how long Paul remained in Thessalonica uh, but it was long enough for him to receive financial help twice from the church in Philippi which is interesting a little bit of background Philippians 4 15 16 speaks of the time that Paul received help financial help more than once from the church there for those in Thessalonica but the fruit this is the this is the powerful thing but the fruit of their labor is recorded here in, in verse 4 of Acts 17 some of the Jews some of the Jews were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women probably women of of, of those who are in leadership roles and women who had uh, prominent positions themselves were are mentioned here in this scripture but they were persuaded did Paul persuade them because of his clever arguments and his expertise in explaining things did he do that you need to understand no it was the work of the Holy Spirit who through Paul as his instrument convicted these people God's Spirit worked in their hearts just as he works in the hearts of those that God brings across your pathway and you share your story you tell them the difference that Christ has made in your life let God's Spirit do the work only he can if you do the work and if someone's convinced by what you say pity help them because they can lose it as well but when God speaks when God does the changing it's forever 
But what a great celebration it would have been for Paul and Silas to, to, to have welcomed those who responded into the family of God. Just, as it, just like it is for us in this church, when we also celebrate with those who have found Christ, particularly we celebrate with them at their baptismal service. When people stand up here on this stage, not all of them, but most do. And we celebrate with them as they testify as to how Christ changed their lives, how they met the Lord. And how they now have become part of the family of faith. And we rejoice with them. We celebrate with them. And we have every right to because Jesus says these words in Luke chapter 15 and verse 10. We need to remember words like this. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's a big party in heaven when someone gives their lives to Christ. A celebration. And sometimes we go, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. What's down there? What's for tea? We need to be caught up with this joy of recognising that precious soul has been snatched from dangling over the pit of hell and now brought into the family of God for eternal life with Jesus in heaven. That's what it means. I think we can be a bit dull about celebrating sometimes. But sadly... Sadly, there's another side of this, this story that we're reading, isn't there? Another side to these events. Because as we come to verses 5 to 9, we soon discover that not everybody is happy. Not everybody will celebrate with you. For you can almost guarantee that where God is at work in transforming people into passionate followers of Christ, there Satan is at work in the midst of it as well. Satan is also at work to oppose, to undermine, to frustrate, to confuse, to bring undone. He's there. He's at work. But we keep working as well in the authority and the power of the gospel of Jesus, who says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we lay hold of those glorious, victorious verses and we press on as Paul and Silas did. You see, it was these unbelieving Jews who were jealous. It's interesting, isn't it? You can preach the gospel to a mass of people and God's spirit works in some and their hearts melt and they go, yes, this is what I need. And others are going, don't want to listen to this garbage. Isn't it incredible how some hearts can be so hard and resistant and that's what we find here in these verses from 5 to 9. It was these unbelieving Jews. They were jealous. They were jealous. They were angry at what they saw as Paul's success. Listen, it's not because they couldn't. They would not. They refused to believe that this was the work of the Holy Spirit of God. All they saw was their own turf being undermined. They were obviously angry at seeing the Gentiles, the influential women, leaving the synagogue. Jealous. Look at verse 5, Acts 17. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house. Jason, interesting character. I don't hear a lot more about Jason from here. Uh, but possibly, uh, possibly Jason was a relative of Paul. 
uh, as he was mentioned again in Romans, chapter, in Romans 16 and verse 21. Possibly that's who this guy Jason was. So they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. Satan was certainly in an uproar, wasn't he? You know, that's interesting because sometimes when there is so much opposition, you need to say, that only confirms that what we're doing is right. If we're on the right track. When you start to rattle and shake Satan's kingdom and you upset him, you know that we're not asleep. You know that God is at work. And that in itself ought to cause us to be rejoicing, not depressed and discouraged, but to say, God, you're at work here. We're in a spiritual warfare. And you're the victory. You have already won. So opposition. Opposition. I'm sure opposition was what Paul was expecting. I'm sure he was expecting it. Following God's mission successes. I'm sure Paul was kind of expecting it. Not surrendering to it, but just expecting it. Because it happened to him everywhere he went. It happened to him at Philippi, for example, in chapter 16. Same thing happened. A crowd lynched him, threw him into jail and all that stuff that happened to him in, in chapter 16. And now at Thessalonica, where he would also eventually, uh, in a short space of time actually, be forced to leave under the cover of darkness, which verse 10 speaks about. Verse 9, for example, post-bond, just something that, that I just wanted to bring to your attention. Probably the posting of a bond that Jason had to do was, was probably a monetary guarantee uh, paid by Jason and others that basically bound them to some contract that Paul and Silas would never be allowed to return to Thessalonica. I think that's what that post-bond actually means. And then Paul possibly makes reference to that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 18 when he says, I wanted so many times to return to you, but Satan prevented us. And possibly he's referring to this posting of a bond that happened to him in Thessalonica. Anyway, that's just something to think about. But opposition followed. Opposition followed the whole of Paul's ministry in one way or another and folks, not surprisingly, it will follow you and me today. If we are faithful in following Christ and sharing his gospel, then we can expect to face opposition. But listen to these encouraging words that the Lord spoke to Paul in Corinth. I love the fact that God knows when you are down, when you are discouraged, when you're working, and it seems if you're batting your head against a wall, listen to the kind of words that, Paul, that God gave Paul. Maybe these words are for you. I'm sure they're for some of you here this morning. Listen, this is Acts 18, 9 to 10. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. Well, where have you heard those words before? For I am with you. Yeah. I am, lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the world. Here again, he reminds Paul, for I am with you. So don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Keep on speaking. I'm with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. What does he mean? Well, there are many who are yet to believe. God knows who they are. Go out there and preach because I got my hand on this. Some people here, they're going to be mine. But they need to believe and they'll believe through your words which are my words, he says. God knew Paul needed these words of encouragement and strength. 
And as I said to you before, he knows we need words like that too. And perhaps you're here this morning and you also need to hear, you need to receive these words for yourself and say, Jesus, thank you there for me. Warren Worsby says this, Paul's ministry must have been very effective for the enemy accused him from turning the world upside down. And folks, that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does. It'll turn your world upside down. It'll turn the world of others upside down. Such is the glorious life-transforming power of the gospel. It transforms your life, but it also transforms societies. It impacts societies. It's the power of, gospel, of, of the gospel of Christ that does that. One commentator made this interesting comment as I, as I close. T.R. Glover. Uh, who was a Baptist uh, lecturer, T.R. Glover, many years ago, quoted with delight the saying of a child who remarked, this is, this is quite interesting, who remarked that the New Testament ended with revolutions. <laughs> Listen, this is what he says. When Christianity really goes into action, it must cause a revolution both in the life of the individual and in the life of society. I agree, I like what this guy says. And I don't know about you, but I reckon that we're overdue for a God-inspired revolution to hit our churches and to hit our nation, don't you? Do I hear a great big yes, amen? <laughs> don't be shy, say it. Hey, thank you, I heard that little amen, it was beautiful. Bless you, sweetheart. Folks, here's a challenge. I'd like to leave this challenge with you. Here's the challenge. There it is. Are you willing for this revolution to start with you? Are you? I want to get you to have the opportunity to say yes. So as I pray, actually, no, I want to just do, just do it right now. Why don't we just do it right now so everyone can see. If you are willing to take this challenge, if you're saying, Lord, I'm willing, whatever that means, I don't know what it means for you, but whatever it means, are you willing for a revolution to start within you first? I want you to stand up right now. Just stand up. Don't stand up if you don't mean it. Just stand up if you do. Whatever it means, Lord, I want to be courageous enough to say to you, you know my heart, whatever it means for a revolution to start in my own heart, Lord, I am willing, I'm ready, I'm here, Lord, I'm yours. Start it with me. And Father, I thank you and bless you for these precious ones who have stood up. God, together we stand because we want this revolution to start in our own hearts. Then it will spread, Lord. Spread it throughout our church. Spread it throughout our family life, Lord. Spread it throughout our societies. Spread it throughout this nation, Lord. This God-inspired revolution, Lord. Indeed, a revival, Father. Please start it. And I'm willing for you to start it in me, whatever that might mean. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless your church. Thank you. Please take a seat. Um, I just want just to pray. We, we won't have time for another song. I just want to pronounce a benediction. These beautiful words just to close our time together. Let's pray. And now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that it works within us, to him be the glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Bless your church. Thank you.